Hello, everybody out there in podcast land. This is Mr. Wills with my lovely co-host, Brittany. And this is Signals from Pittsburgh. Today, we're going to be diving into a surreal head trip of a movie. It's uh, actually its 30th anniversary. Adrian Lynn directed Tim Robbins starring in Jacob's Ladder. Britt, uh, what did you think of this movie at the top? Well, uh, I I was a little disillusioned by it for a long time when we first thought of maybe watching this again. I remembered it being good back when I saw it in high school, <laughs> so a while ago. And um, since then, I hadn't seen it again, and I'm a bit of a gamer, so I played all the Silent Hills, things like that. And when you're in kind of that Silent Hill community, like Jacob's Ladder gets brought up a lot and it gets like talked to death and referenced constantly. And I think being in that circle in the gaming world, it kind of, uh, I don't know, it kind of like disillusioned me to wanting to watch it again because I hear about it all the time. But I'm really glad that we did because I was pleasantly surprised by the rewatch. And um, yeah, I don't know. It just kind of like shook all those years of people just talking about it constantly and just referencing it when it comes to Silent Hill and all that. So yeah, standing on its own, especially without that and kind of rewatching it, um, I was pleasantly surprised and impressed. And I really like reappreciated it, that's for sure, because I kind of lost appreciation for really no good reason. (laughs) Really, yeah, it really is a trip of a movie. It's very um, engaging. And I could see why Silent Hill and other video games would pull from it for influence because it's set in a deep nightmare slash dreamlike world. Before we get into it, there is a Pittsburgh connection to this movie. Adrian Lin, director of this film, his first big film was Flashdance, which was shot right here in Pittsburgh. So maybe one day we will talk about Flashdance, but today it's all about Jacob's Ladder. There's also the, I guess it's a little bit of a stretch, but the special um, makeup effects, uh, Russell Kate. Um, he also worked on Bruiser from George Romero, but I think Bruiser was filmed in mainly in Toronto, if I remember. It was filmed but, in Toronto, but still. Yes, but the connection still goes around, you know, Romero and Pittsburgh. So I thought that was kind of interesting. So, yeah, right at the top two Pittsburgh connections. So that's pretty cool. It just <laughs> yes. worked out that way. We didn't uh, know ahead of time. <laughs> I had no idea. So uh, diving right into it, because this is a deep film. Uh, it starts in Vietnam and it's uh, it's got uh, him, Jacob and his platoon. They're just kind of hanging out, bullshitting around. He's uh, busting uh, his buddy George. Uh, who's played by Ving Rhames from Pulp Fiction fame. He's busting his balls about jerking it, which is pretty funny. And then, <laughs> you know, out of nowhere, they just get attacked. And uh, Jacob uh, is uh, mortally wounded as you kind of you find out what happens to him as the film goes on. But in the beginning, you see him, you know, apparently mortally wounded. But all of a sudden, we flash to a subway. And we don't know in context, it seems later, but he's on the um, he's on the subway car reading The Stranger by Camus, which I thought was a nod right off the top of the movie. So it's like they're telling you, you know, something's not up. Whenever Camus is involved, there's going to be some, uh, you know, postmodern surrealism coming up. And it's not that far from that that we see, um, you know, little hints in the background about uh, – uh, anti-drug warnings, and uh, he walks 
off of the subway, but before he leaves, he sees a homeless man uh, lying there and a somewhat phallic tail slither or what he thinks <laughs> he sees. I'm not sure if he really sees it or not, but we see it as the viewer. But uh, right off the bat, just jarring cut and uh, very like surrealistic, like visceral special effects, but just in flashes. But what, what, were you, what did you dig of this? That's actually one of my favorite scenes is the just the opening and the well, the subway part of the opening, just because like immediately you already know something's off. Um, you get this like creepy woman that just doesn't say anything, just staring right through him. And just the fact that he gets off the subway at a destination that's completely dead and empty. There's no one there. He tries to leave. The gates are shut. He can't seem to get out. Um, he goes to the other side, and it's like a reflection. Both sides of the subway are the same, just reflecting each other, and he still can't get out. And it's just, I think it sets the movie, the movie's tone real quick. They don't kind of mess around getting to it, and it really sets this like strange tone. Ends up having to jump down into the tunnel to try and get out of there. So, yeah, Jacob's walking through the subway because, like you said, he was locked in. And he almost gets hit. So he jumps on the other side of the track. And as the subway rolls by, he sees, like, these weird, like, I don't know, they're, like, creature-like people. Very, like, deformed. And you can't really focus on them, but they look like some kind of weird apparitions. As they drive by, and then the one at the end of the car waves to him, which is really creepy. But I really, yeah. I dug that scene. <laughs> yeah, it's like, uh, <laughs> have we met? Uh, Do I know you? <laughs> so uh, then it uh, smash cuts to him uh, riding his elevator up to his apartment. He opens up, and then he's greeted by his uh, girlfriend, we take it. Her name is Jezebel, Jezzy for short. Um, she tells him... Later on, that um, one of his kid, uh, his son Eli, came by with pictures, and then you see pictures of Jacob and his kids. Obviously, he was. Uh, we find out later in the movie that he was married and has children. And one of his uh, sons had passed away. Uh, Gabe, who's played by Macaulay Culkin. Mm -hmm. Yeah, who I totally forgot was in this movie <laughs> until I saw that picture. I'm like, is that a little Macaulay Culkin? Yeah, he's not even credited in this movie. So uh, so when I bought this Blu-ray, he didn't get any uh, residuals, man. That's fucked up. Oh. Macaulay, man. <laughs> Who's your manager back then? Your parent? No, I'm just kidding. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> but um, I want to point out uh, all his uh, – and he brings this up in the film that all his um, kids' names are biblical names, Jed – Eli and Gabe was the son that passed away. His name is Jacob, which is also another name from the Bible. And her name is Jezebel, which is also a name from the Bible. Um, right. Yeah. And you can tell she's kind of annoyed by the fact that he – I don't know if she's annoyed by the fact that he loves his kids. That would be stupid. But she's very um, – she wants him to leave the past in the past, it seems like. Yeah. I don't know. How did you read that? Um. She seemed a little little annoyed. She she seems annoyed every time he thinks or deals with something kind of like emotional. Um, but anything physical she takes seriously. So if he's got like a headache or, you know, his foot hurts or something or if he's, you know, whatever. She seems to care more about like his physical being and, you know, throw the mental stuff out the window. Forget about it. <laughs> she doesn't seem to really connect or understand 
That's a good observation. Uh, I I really didn't uh, notice that. She's living up to the name Jezebel. She only cares about his right, body, right. not his feelings. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And in doing so, she burns all his photos, which uh, I think is a fucking terrible thing to do. Yeah, I thought uh, that was pretty harsh. Yeah. Well, we find out that they uh, work together and that he is a uh, he's a postman. Um, so he's apparently he's made it home from Vietnam and now he's got a job working as a postman. Then he goes to see his chiropractor, Louis. Uh, and then when we meet Louis, yeah, he shot. He kind of looks like a uh, almost uh, angelic with the way they shoot him. Like they shoot him from a low angle and there's a lot of light behind him. Yeah. Which right now with his back pain, he is his hero. <laughs> <laughs> right. I could I could totally see that. He actually, I think at one point he tells him he looks like a cherub. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I thought that was pretty funny. <laughs> But uh, apparently he and his wife go to the same – his ex-wife go to the same uh, chiropractor. Right. And uh, Louis says he needs a deep adjustment. But the way that it's very um, it's very driven home. Some There's some subtlety in this movie and there's some lines that are just meant to resonate. And that line right. resonated with me when he said you need a deep adjustment, talking more than his back. But we'll find out about that in a little bit. And then as he's uh, – Walking home, there's some girls on the street. Uh, they start singing uh, Mr. Postman to him. <laughs> Which I love. It's such a, like, I don't know, I, I like the start of that scene. They're just, like, so jovial. They're like, hey, Jacob, we know you. They give him a little, they serenade him away while he's, like, <laughs> you know, delivering his letters. Yeah. But, yeah, he turns he turns a corner, and as he turns a corner, the whole mood changes quickly. <laughs> Yeah, he's getting uh, – there's like this car that comes out of nowhere um, and almost runs him down and kills him. And uh, he sees – once again, he sees uh, weird-faced like people. The director, um, Adrian Lin, he said uh, he wanted uh, the special effects in this of the weird people to look like uh, they were victims of uh, thalidomide scandal, which was um, – it was a drug that they give to um, – pregnant mothers in the 50s and 60s which caused like birth yeah. defects it caused like babies to have like you know um malformed hands and feet and all kinds of weird things so that's where um he told the special effects artist to kind of draw his inspiration from uh the writer initially said he wanted the apparitions or or you know hallucinations to look like angels and demons but uh, Adrian Lynn thought it would be cooler if it was just something more unsettling, which I agree with. I think it's it's way more visceral and uh, disturbing than just regular-looking angels and demon uh, hallucinations. What say you? Right. Yeah. It's not. Um, it's not too over the top. It kind of kept everything like anchored in humanity, like de real life types of deformities or things that could happen. Um, which kind of, I think, makes more sense with Jacob because he did see war, or at least we think he did um, at this point in the movie. But he did see war, so he probably saw some like gruesome deformities and injuries as well. So I think it's kind of a good thing that they didn't go to like over-the-top, surreal, you know, fantastical with it. It kind of keeps it grounded and more... It's actually kind of more gross this way because like you can... That stuff could actually happen to you or you could run into... Um, a person with any sort of like disability like that or 
So you're saying people with disabilities are gross? Yes. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, no, but like those types of deformities were more like something you could actually run into um, right. at the time. And then when he sees these people, um, they're not in focus and and it's only flashes. So it's like it's kind of playing on the fact is, is he just experiencing, you know, trauma from being in the war or is he, you know, is there a drug issue? Is there a... You know, so, something's wrong with his mental state, obviously, or maybe not. So we're at this point, we're kind of in the dark still um, trying to figure out what the hell is going on. Um, then he runs to go and see his doctor uh, at the hospital. Not not Louie, not his uh, chiropractor, but a different doctor, uh, Dr. Carlson at the VA. But then when he goes to find uh, Dr. Carlson, we find out that the receptionist says uh, she's never heard of him. There's no record of Dr. Carlson. There's no rec record of uh, Jacob Singer, which we learn is his last name. And uh, he's just freaking out. He's getting very antsy with her and, and intolerant. And then uh, she bends down and her hat falls off. And what do we see, Brittany? <laughs> we see some sort of strange deformity coming out of the back of her head. Yeah, that freaked me out. It was like yeah. kind of looked like. Oh, yeah. Demon horns or something? I don't know. Something, yeah. Some sort of, like, growth protruding. Which, like, we then we, like, going back to video games, you get all, like, the nurses very iconic in Silent Hill, like, deformed nurses and all that stuff. Yeah. So that's, um, yeah, so I totally forgot about that scene with the nurse and how, like, kind of jarring and startling that is. Um, just having her, her hat fall off and there's just, like, gross growths coming out of it and he freaks out as much as i did and i've seen the movie and i totally forgot about that it's like oh my god she and she definitely needs to switch uh, shampoo and conditioner she should definitely <laughs> yes there's probably there's probably uh shampoo or conditioner out there for that condition she needs to seek the help of a dermatologist asap so he runs off he's being chased by the police but he runs into uh dr uh, Car Dr. Carlson's office and then uh, there's another guy there and he informs him unfortunately that Dr. Carlson was blown up yeah <laughs> which is also kind of surprising to hear yeah he so, blew up <laughs> yeah yeah it, it, it's very weird that no one else knew but this other guy they knew exactly what had happened to him yeah so um he conveys to Jesse he's back at home he conveys to Jesse that he's seeing demons I don't know if she, you know, she's trying to figure out what's wrong with him, but I don't know if she really necessarily believed that. And then they throw a party or they go to a party. So did, did you read that this was at their place or did they go to a party? Um, Yeah, I was a little confused about that. I guess I'm now assuming that they went to a party because the place had like stairs and it was like really big. And I don't know. I don't think their apartment has stairs. It looked like a pretty small place when they show it. Yeah, their apartment. But it was kind of disorienting. They don't really like. They don't really help you recognize where this party is, which might be on purpose because it is disorienting to suddenly whole, be at this like party scene. Yeah, this whole movie is about perception. It's like you get sucked into the scenes, and they're all well acted. Like Tim Robbins does a great job. Um, he's playing Jacob. Uh, if we had not mentioned that, yeah. but it could have been Tom Hanks. Can you guys imagine like Tom Hanks playing this character? <sighs> Like, I think he could have done it, but I just don't think it would have been the same. No, Tom Hanks. I mean, I think they went, they were going for, I don't think Tim Robbins was as recognized at this time. They did, um, the, Adrian Lynn said he wanted like a, 
someone with like childlike wonder, which I do think of Tom Hanks. Now I think Tom Hanks is like America's dad, but at that time he was still young. <laughs> time, yeah. Ironically, um, he w- didn't do this project so he could do uh, Brian De Palma's Bonfire of the Vanities, which um, was like a big flop, unfortunately, for oh, De Palma because no, yeah. – I love De Palma, but that movie was just terrible. And then Adrian Lynn turned down Bonfire of the Vanities to do this movie. Yeah. So it's an interesting little switcheroo there. Yeah. Fun fact. So, which I think, yeah, if you're going to put these two back to, you know, but then again, it would have been a different film. I think this is like one of Tim Robbins' best movies. Like this and Howard the Duck are his top two movies. <laughs> yes. Both surreal. That's a, that's not a bad top two for an actor, right? <laughs> Absolutely not. I, th- I think very different that, movies, though. <laughs> yeah, and he, and he married um, Susan Sarandon. He was married yeah. to Susan Sarandon for for a long, long time. So, I mean, he made out okay. Um, but yeah, we're back to the party, and um, he runs into a palm reader, and yes. uh, love this scene. It, why don't you elaborate? Tell us about this scene, Britt. <laughs> Uh, well, I just like the acting of the palm reader a lot. She seems like so, she seems like so sweet and genuine. And like even um, Jacob, he seems like he's be- getting a little overwhelmed at the party. So he kind of retreats back a little bit um, and kind of gets invited up to the stairwell where this um, this palm reader is just hanging out and says, let me, let me read your palm. Come on, let me, let me see what's up with that. And she kind of talks to him a little bit and says, oh, here it says, you're already dead. <laughs> but she says it in such a peaceful, calm way. Like, it's okay. You're already dead. You yeah, she's worry. she's flirting with him. Even uh, Jesse yeah, walks she, by at some point. She's like, are you flirting? And he just kind of like <laughs>, laughs her off. Yeah. I, lo- I love that whole dynamic of that little scene, too. Because, like, it seems like there's real chemistry between um, Jesse and Jacob, um, Tim Robbins and the Elizabeth Pena. They they both seem to have like real chemistry, but he also seemed to have like some real flirty chemistry with this um, palm reader too. So I think that's it was just really I like that scene a lot. And of course, like as the movie goes, things tend to flip so quickly. Oh, absolutely! Like that scene, we just went from um, like earlier, even when they're singing Mister Postman, to him being almost run down by a car. It's like instantaneously. Things snap in an instant, and this scene coming up is actually a good point, a uh, good example of that. Um, he goes and uh, Jesse, after he gets his palm ready, goes and dances with Jesse. And, you know, he's, you know, doing his best, but he's just not into it. So he backs off, and then we see another guy move in and dancing very close and, uh, you know, sexually to Jesse. And all of a sudden, you just see, like, out of nowhere, like a, almost like a, like a demon wing it's it's like a very like leathery bat wing. <laughs> like some sort of yeah. weird tentacle like and a weird like tail slide up from like between her legs and it's shot very like sporadically with like a strobe light it's very yeah you know it's if uh beware if you have epilepsy because it's very epileptic oh, yeah. <laughs> epileptic inducing <laughs> uh Scene yeah, the scene just gets like increasingly um disorienting yeah she gets more violent in her dancing and sexual in her dancing. And then uh, when it comes to like a crescendo, it's like, it's almost like they're having sex. And then um, she gets like a horn right through her mouth and like dies. Yeah. Or is killed, apparently. Yeah. And this is what Jacob is seeing. And according then he, to him, yeah. According to him, yeah. Um, yeah. The, and it was uh, offset because he was, he looked down the um, corridor and he saw once in a, another, I call them thalidomide guys because that's what, uh, you know, Adrian Lynn was referring to, but yeah, it looked like 
another like specter or weird kind of you know demon as he was as jacob was referring to them and then it kicked off the dance scene and then so jacob flips out um he flashes uh back to nam and uh it's like a scene where there's medics above him and they're saying uh his guts are hanging this guy's guts are hanging out and then mm-hmm. flashback to the apartment and he wakes up with a 106 degree fever he's she's pissed off that you know he made her look like an asshole yeah but, uh, again pissed off over something like <laughs> emotional or like moody and it's just giving him shit until she realized he's actually like really high there's like something physically wrong with him and then suddenly she's like oh like you know i'll take you seriously now that something physically is wrong with you right it, yeah it seems to be a reoccurring thread throughout the film she doesn't believe not maybe doesn't believe but doesn't placate his mental you know problems but once it's something tangible she's right there to help him Mm-hmm. So in her eyes, something tangible in her eyes. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah, but, but they uh, this is a great scene too. It's like she gets him naked and throws him in the tub. She calls <laughs> yeah. the she calls the um, emergency room and they tell him tell her to place him in the tub and you know it's pretty much freeze him out. But like they don't have enough ice, so she like runs to all like the the adjoining neighbors and yeah. like fucking Calling gets like. Yeah, I feel bad for this guy because, like, all his neighbors are seeing him naked and dumping ice on him. Like, it was very, um, very disturbing. It was like, and I didn't really think about it until now. It's just like, it's kind of like, it's almost like childbirth or or death in that scene because it's like you're you're naked, you have no defenses, and then all these people kind of are just like looking down on you and you're cold, (laughs) you know? So it's like, it was a cool allegory for that. I'm not sure if that's what he was going for, but there's so much subtlety. Everybody listening to this, you just need to watch this film. This is just kind of our take on it, but there's so, so much you can pick out of this movie. Don't expect a, like just our single podcast, you know, this isn't the end all be all. (laughs) This is our opinion, but um, this is kind of what we took from it. So definitely please, uh, comment on our uh, social media what you think as we're going through this but uh what what did you uh think about that um the just the nakedness and the uh the throwing the ice <laughs> the, the na- i love the nakedness you know of, of tim <laughs> no, did, did uh, tim robbins get a star <laughs> oh we did get to see his buns earlier in the movie i think so yeah we did he's got some nice buns tim Good robbins buns. go buns Thumbs up on the buns. Uh, <laughs> Elizabeth Pena also naked in the film. So if you're into nudity, there you go. Yeah, a little bit for everyone, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, no, I, I. That's one of my other favorite scenes. It's probably a little cliche for that to be like a lot of people probably pick that scene as one of their favorites. But yeah, I just love that top-down shot of him in the tub with like the water coming up to his cheeks, and he, he's just like crying. He just yeah, can't stop it, crying. He's just like traumatized. His eyes are and, bloodshot. Yeah. 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 Just it's pretty like horrifying and you really feel bad for the guy. And there's obviously so much going on. It's so chaotic leading up to that point. And um, just I guess stylistically, I really love that that scene. And he does such a good job. I think it's so hard to like look disturbed um, and cry on camera and really have it really have it hit. And just his face and his eyes, or they—I don't know—it's a striking scene. I agree, and that you, you brought up a good point. Is um, Tim Robbins just nails it? He has to have so much range. Like you really get to see his range in this film. Like everybody else is kind of reacting to 
him. I mean, later on, we'll get into it a little more. There are some other characters, but um, that empathize. But uh, I feel that Tim Robbins really carries this movie and his acting. And if you didn't have the right fit there, this movie would be laughable. So I agree with that shot there where he's just kind of in the tub and it's the overhead shot is just very, it's harrowing. It's awesome. I really dig that one too. Um, He does a He does a great job with um, also just making people not feel bad for him, but just kind of like feel for him. Empathize with him. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. He seems like such a, such a, just like gentle soul, honestly. He's got a childhood. Yeah, very childlike. We yeah, we mentioned that, but yeah, yeah, no, he 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 was perfect with that. Just the way he acted and the way he looked, even his facial expressions or his tone with things. He's just like you. Just want this guy to like feel better. You just feel bad, so bad for him. <laughs> the whole movie. Yeah, you see this lovable guy, and he's just tormented by you know he's almost run down at this point in the film. He's you know you know having these non flashbacks. He's he's losing what it seems to be his grip on reality and he's tormented. Um, you know, he's lamenting over the loss of his son. We don't quite yet find out what happened to him. And he's just kind of living in the fallout of what his modern day life is, but still, yeah. but not bitter, which is cool. That's, I think that's why, cause you could, you could have this film and you could make this character very, very bitter and, uh, hateful towards the world but that's not the case with him he's got he's full of life he's he's definitely got the light and uh that's why it's so so hard to watch him go through a lot of the stuff in this film yeah you just want him to have like a i don't know you're just like hoping that he has like a nice stress-free rest of his life and that he can just like go home and relax <laughs> with nothing bad happening to him yeah and you know? he, even from the opening scene, he's just busting balls with uh, Bing Rhames' character, and you're like, "Oh, this guy—he's just a lovable guy." And then from from the jump, he's getting—you know—he gets essentially stabbed, and mm-hmm. and there's just all this terrible shit from the word go that's happening to him. But he seems to kind of bounce between that and jovial, being jovial, which is—it's strange and could come off very jarring but in a good way so yeah because in those in in the scenes that are um like sweet or funny or exciting for him he he just he just like latches onto that you can tell he's like instantly happy instantly you know um excited or whatever but it's just like every time he gets a little bit of that it's like one step forward two steps back with something shitty happening right afterward like he's not allowed to enjoy a moment (laughs) It feels like the the world we're living in now. Shit, <laughs> I know, right? Oh, God. it's very it's it's a it's an allegory for twenty twenty. Um, <laughs> so he wakes up from the ice bath, uh, mm-hmm. but he's in bed. He's not in you know initially he's not in the bathtub. He wakes up and he's in bed, and um, his wife and kids are both alive. And uh, his his wife Sarah. And then uh, even uh, Gabe, uh, as, who's played by Macaulay Culkin, who we thought was dead, is alive and it says he can't sleep. He goes and tucks him in. At one point, he tells his wife he has this dream that, you know, uh, he was, you know, they were gone and he was with, uh, you know, the girl he worked with at the post office or the girl from the post office. And she had great thighs, and <laughs> but it was a nightmare. But she had great thighs. <laughs> yeah, 
yeah, he makes like a little, uh, just kind of a little joke about it. And I think it's really sweet too. It, it seemed like he had like a pretty like sweet dynamic with his wife too. And in, in that scene and just that they could like laugh about it and all that. And yeah. And the, the transition of that scene was so seamless too. Actually throughout most of the movie, the, the, editing was really great everything transitioned sometimes so smoothed that it was jarring if that makes sense like yeah. the transition was so good that it takes you like half the scene to catch up like oh we're in like a different timeline or we're in like a different memory or a dream like i didn't even notice that we switched you know like usually there's some sort of like identifying transition yeah um in most movies when things are changing, but it's so seamless. But I feel like uh, it works extra well to be seamless because it takes even the audience a little bit of time to catch up to where he is now because you're from his perspective like the whole time. Yeah, he is our uh, protagonist. We're feeling the effects that he does. So he's like, oh, I'm here. And it seems like he just goes with the flow, which is which is weird because it's not like he forgets, but... I think he, once again, it's going back to he's full of life, so he's not, you know, he's going to accept that that was a dream. He doesn't second guess it because this is what he wants. Yeah. He wants to be with his family and his wife, and you know, yeah. uh, it's such a it's such a good moment. It's like he he has to hold on to it, and even if this is the dream, he wants to deny, you know, he wants to deny the fact his son's dead, and he wants to deny. The fact that, you know, he and his wife are no longer together. Um, but then you see him have a flashback to Nam. It, he bounces back between uh, Nam and then Jesse. Uh, there's a scene where he's in a helicopter in Nam. He's on a life flight and the uh, pilot gets shot in the head. And it's, 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 once again, it's transitional scene. So it's like, is he, what, what's the dream and what's, What's reality? It's all shot the same way. It's all shot with the same water, like you, with the same weight, like you said. And a lot of movies will have transitions, so we'll know. Oh, this is the dream. Transitions are like and, echoey voices, or like a really like bright bloom, blurry effect on certain things, or you know. Yeah, some kind of filter or something. No. Something, yeah. There's usually some indication that something's changed, but they kind of just go in a smooth way and then you have to figure it out yeah when i first saw this film a long time ago i assumed that he was having flashbacks to nam but it does feel every scene we're in with jacob it feels like we're living real time which uh mm -hmm. this movie really pulls off without being t with being just disorienting enough but not to where you're frustrated it's not like david lynch disorienting which frustrates <laughs> some people but it's it's there it's done very like you said seamless um, we're back to Jesse. So he's no longer there with Sarah or the kids. Um, back in the apartment with Jesse. He asked if he's home and she said, Yeah. And then he asked if he's dead and she said she says, No, you know, you're with me. Um, so he's not dead. Um he gets a phone call from one of his old army buddies, uh, Paul. And uh Paul is portrayed by uh Pruitt Taylor Vince. So Paul uh, Pruitt Taylor Vince, if I can get into it, um, he is the actor. He was in uh, Constantine and he was in Identity, but he has this uh, uncanny knack and he does it in this film too. He can shake his eye. He can make his eyes vibrate 
which is always weird. They always, I'm pretty sure he's in X Files too. I can't remember what episode off the top of my head, but he <laughs> he got hired because of his eyes. <laughs> yeah, they're like if you if you need a, somebody to shake their eyes, this is your man. But um, <laughs> yeah, he he uh, meets him up with him at a bar, and he's telling him that he sees demons, and then there's people after him, and he's going to go to hell, and um, he's the only one. He's experiencing the same things that um that uh, Jacob is. So it, you've once again, it's like so they were in Nam together, and now they're both experiencing these apparitions of what they call demons. Yeah, and for the first time in the movie, he uh, found somebody who he can kind of relate to. He can mm-hmm. kind of, because he uh, kind of seemed obviously like he felt alone. He doesn't have a lot of support from uh, Jezebel when it comes to his emotions or dealing with uh, whatever PTSD he has or whatever he's going through. And um, he just thinks he's kind of losing it. So to hear um, somebody he knows and trusts and went through that experience with also say that he's having the same experiences, he's like, yes, okay, we're getting somewhere. <laughs> there's there's something going on. There's some answers. Um, Yes. In a horrible way, but it's also great because now he has somebody that can kind of validate that he's not crazy. Well, you also also should uh, bring up the fact that he has a degree in is it in theology, he's or philosophy, right? But he was going to be um, he was going to school, to, or he, I know he was working. Yeah, he was working on his degree to be a philosopher because we see him in one scene where he's at his house and he's got all these books on theology and, and religion. And so it's kind of spelled out. I mean, Louis says it at one point, but uh, it's he, he ends up becoming a postman, but he was at one point going to be a uh, doctor or a philosopher. So it's, 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 I always thought that was, or I think that's kind of cool because it's kind of, it's stated, but in the background you kind of wonder if he's manifesting these out of, you know, his studies or what he's reading, or he's trying to, you know, it, it shows that he's a deeper person. He's trying to link all link of something, the, yeah. yeah, he's linking all of this maybe to what he's studied, but nothing really adds up in, in a cohesive sense, you know, since he's mm-hmm. being jumped all around until, until he meets up with Paul and Paul's, he understands that, he thinks that something happened to them in uh, Vietnam. So I think this yeah. is kind of the first thing um, that kind of hints that, hints at that. And Yeah, um, that it might be something bigger than just one person having PTSD. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, so he walks Paul to his car and then Paul is blown up. He's like, his car blows yeah. up. Second person to be blown up. Yeah, it was referenced that Dr. Carlson, who was uh, his doctor at the VA, blew up. And now uh, his um, his platoon buddy, Paul, was uh, blown up, too. And then we see a gentleman behind – in this shot, there's a shot where he's blown back. He kind of has a like a nom, you know, kind of a nom flash. And you see a guy behind him that will come into the movie a little bit later, but it's prominent. There's some guy – behind him kind of it's i think he's pulling him back yeah from the explosion and then that guy just disappears but uh, we'll find out who he is soon enough um they go to paul's wake and all his other buddies from nam are there 
Um, and they say, they kind of all allude to the fact that they've been having, you know, weird interactions or weird visions or, you know. So they go and see a lawyer who's played by uh, Jason Alexander um, of uh, the burning fame and obviously uh, Seinfeld, so George oh, Costanza. Yeah. But here he's, uh, yeah, here he plays Geary. The, and he says um, that the soldiers have a, ba- or a basis for a class action lawsuit against the army because um, right. they were experimented on or some something happened to them. So yeah. they're all and there's going enough to- of them to kind of attest to it that he thinks that they might have a case. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, they're making some progress, <laughs> they think. The, the, yeah, it, they're very elated. They're excited uh, in, in the, you know, horror that Paul being murdered or, you know, at the, was he murdered? Was he, you know, an accident? You know, and, and, and they kind of allude to that. They're like, well, who would want him dead? What happened, you know, in the wake of this shady death? There's a light at the end of the tunnel because maybe they'll get some justice because, you know, Geary said, oh, yeah, you'll get some great financial compensation. And Jacob, showing that he is like, once again, one of the purest characters of this whole film, says it's not about that. It's about, you know, doing what's right. His character shines through. Character shines. Tim Robbins. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. So they all of a sudden he calls. He hasn't heard anything. Oh, he gets he actually he gets a call when he's in the shower. Uh the lawyer has said he's dropped the lawsuit. He calls his buddies. They say, Yeah, they're backing out. Just let it go. He's obviously confused and, and crestfallen and destroyed. So he goes and confronts the lawyer and he's told that um it's dropped and that they were never in Vietnam, that they were part of something and uh they're part of war games in Thailand, so that kind of hints on to what's going on, that maybe all is not what it seems. Mm-hmm. So he comes out of um, he co- he comes out of the you know courthouse and he's picked up by these thugs and then thrown in this car, and you know they're telling him essentially keep his mouth shut, and he's like get, telling them to fuck off and like fighting back. Um, yeah, he has a hell but, of a fight in him in that car too. <laughs> yeah, well, he's you know. It, was in Nam or you know, was, yeah. or in Thailand or somewhere, but he was he was somewhere, but he be, was trained. He was he's a trained fighter, so absolutely he's a soldier. So um they throw him out of the car. Uh he ends up getting free, they throw him out of the car and um he gets mugged by Santa Claus. <laughs> Rolls up on Santa. He's like ringing the bell. He's like, hey, man, you all right? Uh, let me just check if you're okay. Steals his wallet. <laughs> steals his wallet and all of his identity. Not just the money. Just steals his entire wallet. Oh, yeah, everything. You can't even leave his ID with him, man. Like, come on. Then, as we learned earlier in the film, he's got a bad back. Right. Oh, yeah. This really sent him over the edge there with his back. Yeah, he's got a terrible back. So he's uh, on the side of the road. He gets picked up. Um, he's... Uh, rush to like this operating room and um you know they're looking they think he he's trying to tell him he was mugged by santa they think he's like a derelict i, I assume because he doesn't have any identification no he's saying you know, like, people are trying to get him he was mugged by santa like obviously oh this guy's fucked up um and there's a weird it's not really a cameo because he wasn't necessarily famous yet, but uh, the ER doctor is played by Lewis Black, which is funny from um, The Daily Show and all, you know, just screaming and ranting. A stand up comedian, Lewis Black, in an early role. So 
check yeah. out that. a lot of well a lot of these like going back and watching older movies it, it's it's really kind of fun to see these actors um when they were younger earlier on before they became maybe for what they're known for now so it's just kind of funny to think back like at that time people really didn't know that face or that oh, yeah. name just like off the bat but now looking back it's i guess it gives you like a different perspective on watching um a movie that's a little older too yeah, it's it's always cool to revisit older movies of the time and to see who the who they got as the character actors and yeah, where you know, they went some, after that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, that's half the fun. Mm-hmm. Um, but it as they um they wheel him further, like they put him on a gurney and wheel him down the halls, and the further he gets down the hall, like the more he like they pass a room full of um you know mental patients, but they're all once again they have the thalidomide look to them. They're all you know, I don't want to say deformed or, or, you know, malformed and, and just like laughing and, and, you know, mentally ill. And mm-hmm. the fur, he keeps getting pushed further and further down this hallway and it gets darker and dingier and kind of looks. Joel Peter Wicken was a, um, is an artist that, uh, Adrian Lynn said he was inspired by too when he made this movie. And if you check out things from this era, like later on, the, uh, Nine Inch Nails video closer, like Joel Peter Wicked. Check out his stuff. We'll put up uh, his name in the uh, episode info. But yeah, definitely check out his stuff. He's yeah. got some cool, uh, cool art and imagery, and really inspired the look of some of the shots in this film, especially. The... You can definitely tell it's very clear. <laughs> yeah, it's it's very cool. There's no way to hide it. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but, but it's a, it's a great. Uh, if you're gonna steal, steal from the best. So yeah, that's what they say. But um, yeah, he's in the hospital of hell. Uh, as as I like to call it, it seems like he just like they took him straight down to hell, and um, he's in this uh, operating room. And um, did you what did you think about this scene before we really get into it? Um, again, like everybody, everybody in this scene is just so, uh, like rude. <laughs> <laughs> Like, nobody considers this guy's feelings whatsoever. It's all physical. You're here in the hospital. Something's wrong with you. And he's, like, concerned, asking pretty valid questions. And um, all the answers are very, like, straightforward, you know, very, like, uncaring, unfeeling. Um, like, what are you doing here? And he, I think, does he ask if he's dead or, like, oh, I want to go home or something? He's like, you are home. Um, He says i want to go says, home and he says you can't go home you're dead i believe the surgeon tells him he's dead yeah and he, yeah he said, and, and, you're dead don't you remember <laughs> and and yeah he's yeah he said he's you're dead that's why you're here don't you remember yeah. and you also see jesse as a nurse <laughs> just like rolling up it's like okay what's she doing here there's definitely something wrong with this scene yeah he's yeah he's trying to call out to her like jesse and she's just not responding to that yeah she's uh, just kind of rolling her eyes to him but he's got the I think this is one of his the best um best acting parts of this entire film where he's like, I'm not dead, I'm alive. Like like the way he like emotes in this like yeah. <laughs> like, like Tim Robbins, like once again he's like he goes from like this lovable, almost like puppy dog of a human being to like this very like hurt and, and angered and enraged, like he like telling the doctor he's not you know, he's not dead, that he's alive. And then he yeah gets shot in the head with the uh, this giant hypodermic needle and he has another uh, nom flash and then he's back in a hospital he's in a regular hospital bed but his family's there once again so like Sarah and the kids yeah. accord- 
with Gabe too. And they're like, oh, you fell and you, you hurt your back and, you know, it's going to take some time, but you're going to be okay. Yeah. I'll live in this moment. Let's just stay here. <laughs> right. But then, th- but also, uh, <laughs> Louis shows up and uh, it, it, he needs to get him out of the hospital because he thinks they haven't been treating him well. And this is Danny Aiello who plays Louie. I think this is one of his best scenes. He just comes yeah. in and he's like a maniac and goes to attack the fucking um, <laughs> the I nurses with an uh, IV stand. And he gets like the he gets the wheelchair out and throws Jacob in it. <laughs> yeah. He just rolls up. At, this would never happen in a hospital these days. That's for sure. But <laughs> he just like rolls up in there, busts through the door, threatens them. <laughs> throws him in a wheelchair and just like wheels him right out you know and then like all the ner- everybody that's working down there is just kind of like oh well the, the guys upstairs will handle it don't don't worry uh, yeah. which could be another reference to something that's going on but yeah yeah he just wheels him right out he's like whatever you're coming you're coming with me We're yeah he, he um yeah he gets him out of there and he takes him back and he says you know am i gonna die he's like from a slip disc no but then he <laughs> he goes on and if you're not getting it yet, Danny Aiello, uh, Louis kind of is guiding us and guiding the viewer towards, you know, the deeper meaning of this film, which um, I, I go back and forth about. I like I like interpretation, but when there's so much weirdness going on, you really kind of do need a guide. But uh, he uh, says a couple things here. He says, uh, the only thing that burns in hell is a part of you that won't let go. And he said... He says something to the effect of if you're holding on to your humanity, um, like when you're dying and you're unwilling to let go, all the um, angels could look like demons and, you know, yeah, the de- tearing, you'll see the demons tearing your life away. <laughs> yeah, you'll see the demons tearing your life away. So I thought that was cool on the nose, but, you know, it, <laughs> yeah. pretty, pretty cool. Pretty cool. Well, it's like I, I do not like exposition usually. Um, but there is a way to do it. And this, and this one borders on being almost too on the nose. Um, but it's just the way he delivered it and like the passage he chose to kind of quote um, made it OK for me. <laughs> right. And yeah, like Jacob states, um, looks like an angel. And it's it's yeah. evident that maybe this is his guardian angel. His, yeah. Yep, his guiding light. <laughs> And Danny Aiello is such a great actor. A lot of this movie lives and dies by the acting, I think. And oh, yeah. if you if you put somebody else in that role, maybe it would have come off a little too, you know, too much too much exposition and you know too cheesy, too on the nose. But I thought that um, I thought that he could pull it off. He did. Yeah, just this crazy Italian, this lovable Italian <laughs> guy, and do the yeah. right thing. Yeah. Yeah, um, he's great. When uh. When Jacob gets back to his apartment, he goes through a box of his things from from the war, and it shows he's got a letter showing that he was dishonorably discharged. And then uh, he gets another call from Michael, and um, Michael tells him that uh, you know there was definitely he was part of an experiment. Um, he needs to meet him and tell him what happens. And this is uh, one of my favorite scenes, played by Michael, played by Matt Craven. I haven't really seen this guy in anything else, but I, he was—he uh, really pulled off this character once again, living and dying by the acting. But um, he meets—I um, like how this whole sequence is like framed. It's just like shot under the shitty, in the shitty alley <laughs> in like New yeah. York City, 
uh, this whole the production of this movie and all the like locations of this movie it takes place in uh, like New York City obviously this is 90 so it wasn't quite the you know it wasn't the Giuliani you know post 9-11 cleaned up New York it was still like remnants of the shitty New York so it's cool it's got a nice cool new york vibe to it which oh, is yeah, the uh, 80s new york thing because it was 1990s so i mean it's gonna feel more 80s i think and yeah. it does <laughs> yeah it's got that cool well along with the hair <laughs> the style of the glasses it's all very 80s jacob's got some like fine hair going on he's got the mom it. mom hair mom gla- he kind of looks like, i call him the 80s mom <laughs> 80s mom look uh yeah uh kind of looks like a uh, grown harry potter kind of he led the way yeah. <laughs> uh led the way for uh, harry potter he could have been Harry Potter's dad, uh, Larry yeah, Potter. I don't know. Larry, I, Larry Potter. That, that was Harry Potter's dad, right? Larry it Potter. should have been his name. <laughs> okay. Well, um, I digress. But um, yeah, back into uh, uh, Michael, the chemist, uh, played by Matt Craven. Well, he's a chemist that reveals he made this uh, LSD or type drug um, called the ladder. And they tested it on, um, I believe it was apes, right? Monkeys? Mm-hmm. I think so. And they became uh, violent. So it it was they took LSD or a psychotro- uh, psychotropic drug and pulled out um, the element which brought up the the darkness in in uh, the psyche. So, so people would be more prepared to do, you know, the horrors of war, which were, uh, mm-hmm. you know, commit violent acts. You know, be ready, be more supercharged. Kind of like I imagine, like um, the berserkers. From you know the Viking times, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was kind of like mo- just pure ra- rage. <laughs> yeah, modern day rage, modern day berserkers. Yeah. So it was uh, the government testing on different animals, and then they tested it. He said on Charlie the Viet, you know Viet Cong, and he's you know he's he emotes so much in this, and I can't do this scene justice, but the way he emotes, like his regret for creating this. Um, then he reveals, I would say, the second biggest reveal of the entire film. Britt, do you want to take it away? Sure. Um, so uh, Michael reveals that they, the government did end up using this drug on their own troops. <laughs> and they ended up using it on Jacob's unit um, to test it out on them. And they ended up uh, killing each other, attacking each other. And then Jacob has the flashback of uh, getting bayoneted by another person and um you know i don't think it was in necessarily in his troop but another you know member of the infantry he gets bayoneted and his guts are all hanging out he has like the flashback right, yeah, they, they, yeah they reveal the rest of that flashback because they like they they played like a part of it in the beginning but they don't really show who did it um or exactly what happened but it becomes clear now that it was somebody on his own side that attacked him yeah so you know he finally knows what happened to him if it finally makes sense it, like all, all this darkness and this rage and these demons that he's seeing that, you know, all this awfulness. And apparently, you know, the, Dr. Carlson and uh, Paul were killed to cover up this, uh, you know, to cover up this great conspiracy. And obviously that's why, you know, Geary didn't want to be part of it because he was probably threatened himself. Because when he goes to see Geary, he looks very, he looks annoyed, but also scared. So he kind of gives Jacob the brush off saying, you know, you know, you lied to me and you guys were never in Vietnam, but I also think he may have been intimidated by the government to keep his mouth shut about things and to oh, yeah. leave well enough alone. I think they're all probably threatened at some point, you know. Yeah. That's kind of why they dropped it. <laughs> but 
But Jacob's the only one that didn't back down because he no. needs his answers. No, he's definitely he's definitely he. I mean, he's a philosopher, so he needs to know. He needs he's seeking answers. He needs to yes. know why these things are happening to him. He needs to he needs to um, get some closure. He needs and, to get uh, to the bottom of it. Um. So he's taken home in a cab. In a weird, in a very weird interaction, the ca- the cab driver's really weird. He's taken home, but it's a home we haven't seen before. Which I, mm-hmm. once again, it was one of those transitions where he plays it like, "Oh no, this is normal." But and to us, we're like, "This isn't normal." <laughs> so it's like he's just yeah. been told X Y Z. So we expect him to go back to his apartment and things would be normal. But he goes to like a penthouse and he's greeted by. A greeter at the door who kn- who knows him addresses him by name. Then he goes up to um, his, you know, lavish, you know, you know, look like a million dollar loft with like giant staircase, and he's got a degree of he's got some kind of degree, and um, it's evident that uh, he's a doctor, so he's not a postman anymore. So it's, once again, it's just like a trans a flawless transition. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. And he's standing in his apartment alone, and um, he's trying to compartmentalize. He's trying to work out everything that happened, and he's kind of having a crisis of faith. And then he sees um, Gabe on the steps. He sees his son Gabe on the steps. Um, and if we, I wasn't clear before, he had this his family before. It seemed like he had his family before he went yeah, to. Um, yeah, I, at this point, yeah, it seems like. Um... Yeah, it seems like he had this family before he went to Vietnam. And he had his loss with Gabe before. Um, that or it happened while he was gone and he heard about it or something. Because um, he does say something about, like, I should have been there. But they don't really say, like, that he was in Vietnam while his, when his son died or if it happened before. But yeah, they don't, he implied they, that he just, like, regretfully wasn't there yeah, when I, his son died. I think you may be right. They do show a flash of what happens to Gabe. Uh, he was yeah. hit by a car, and then yeah. uh, earlier on in the hotel or in the hospital scene, rather, um, they show a wrecked bike as he's going down mm-hmm. the corridor. So it alludes to that. Um, but yeah, so obviously he's still harboring guilt. So I'm not sure. Yeah, I, maybe he was away in Vietnam when that happened. Yeah, they didn't really specify, but I think it works either way. Like I guess the the point in the end is he he wasn't there, and he feels guilty that he wasn't by his son's side to kind of be there to protect him whatever the reason that was i think the first time i watched this i th- I thought that he like came back and had this whole other life like things didn't work out with his wife because they couldn't deal with the grief together and all that um but i, I mean this this watch like it's it's i think it's clear that he's you know he's coming face to face with he he might actually be dead maybe he didn't come back yeah it's very clear that Gabe is there. He's he's on this, you know, set of steps that is shot very, you know, ethereal. You can't see yeah. quite where it goes. <laughs> and he's, you know, telling him, you know, essentially come along, it's safe. And um there is a um so he goes with Gabe. He accepts what's going on. We're, you know, at this point watching the film this time, I kind of knew well, I remembered what was coming. But I wasn't. I don't remember it spelled out this this much. But it's pretty much. Yeah, I remembered it being more ambiguous. The like when I'm thinking back to like the first time I watched it. But I really, I don't. I don't think it is this time. <laughs> no, it's it's one. Do one final flashback to Vietnam, and we see 
you know, him lying on, you know, in a med tent and there's two doctors there and he's dead. And he's like, go ahead and call it. And he's like, but, you know, this guy, I'm paraphrasing, but he's like, he, he really was a fighter though, you know? And then, so he died uh, from being in Vietnam, but, and essentially Gabe was taking him in, into the unknown, into the afterlife. But yeah. it seems like in the, the way I took it and I, I, I always thought that maybe the drug, I don't know if the drug caused him to hallucinate another life. Cause he, he lived an entire other life in like the moments of his death, which I thought was cool. And that's kind of like the, that's not the point of this movie, but that's just one of the themes is like one of the, not really a red herring either, but kind of the device. It's like, you know, he lived this whole other life, but did he really live that life? Did his, did he get to experience that or did he hallucinate that? And yeah. then, well, that's, so, that's the thing. Like, um, they always say like your life flashes before your eyes when you die. But what happens when your life, you're dying um, before your time. Well, yeah, maybe before your time, but you're dying. Um, your life is flashing before your eyes, but you're also on hallucinogenic drugs at the same time. That's true. So like you have this extra element of like confusion and rage and and you're going through that at the same time as like having your life flash before your eyes and thinking about maybe your biggest things that you can't let go right before you die. And so he experiences all this like... And, you know, who knows how long in real time it took. But for him, it seemed like it took like days and flashing between timelines to kind of accept that maybe he's dying and it's it'll be okay if he does. But it right. took him this like whole weird, crazy experience of like his old life and his like side made up life, maybe things that he wished he would have had a chance to come to terms with. But now he has to do it quickly <laughs> yeah i think maybe i think and this um points back to the theory that um he maybe died when you know maybe his uh maybe gabe died when he was away um because maybe that's why because he knew jesse he knew jesse from somewhere and i think when he manifested this whole post war po not even war because he wasn't in the war but this post you know um exercise war exercise life that say you know it was like a it was like a different reality but he was living that reality so did that you know it's it's all within it's all within his mind or is it but essentially it is huh. like maybe he would have you know maybe compartmentalized that um or projected rather that um you know, his wife would leave him or that would fall apart because of yeah. the grief. And Things that he that. thought maybe would happen. Right. It was essentially it was essentially a what if I live, this is what my <laughs> life is going to be. But he lived it in real time. And I believe I believe um the demons are the angels. Like like um I mean it's pretty evident, it's pretty spelled out. Yeah. Yeah. So he, yeah. once like, once you start stop resisting and like letting go of all the things that are keeping you from moving on it becomes <laughs> more so that they were helpful they're just trying to get you like get you moving but yeah you know when you're when you don't want to leave and you want to hang on to life then it feels like you're having things taken away from you because you're not ready this is not like your choice it doesn't feel like your choice at that point 
So yeah, of course it seems like they're bad guys. <laughs> right. And so and but there Louis was there. Louis was also there. Yeah. Um His just angel. like <laughs> you know, guiding him through all of it, which I thought, you know, it it was it's kind of like um you know, not like sort of like total recall, you know, it's a little more it's more spiritual. Like total recall is like yeah. is it a dream? Is it you know, reality and you know, there are some avatars in there to let you know one way or the other. But mm -hmm. um, this, it's pretty evident that he lived like, an, I don't want to say an entire life, but he got to see one possibility of how his life may have played out in his dying moments. Yeah. Which I thought was cool. But just the way it was conveyed. Um, Sonny Boy is an old uh, minstrel song that he would sing. He was singing it while he was a postman. And then um, it made it, it reminded him of his son. So that was the connection there. But yeah. um, I'm wondering, so like Mr. Postman, things like that, like the music he hears, like the music plays yeah. a part in this uh, film too. And I'm wondering if it's bleed through, you know, when you're sleeping and you have music on, sometimes it bleeds into your dreams. So I'm wondering mm. if these were the songs, because we wake up and there's a radio in the, like in the vet, I believe there's a radio in the. In the, in the tent, medical tent. In the me medical tent. Mm. So I'm wondering if, like, those songs were just bleeding through as he was as he was dying. Could yeah, pick up on all sorts of that stuff. Yeah, or just songs. Well, there were different. You know, there were different um, moments. So whenever he flashed back to Nam, it, that was real. That was him, mm -hmm. like getting brought back to reality. That was him clutching on the life. So it seemed like whenever. You know, the the darker things got, he would flash to Nam because that was, he would see the demons and then be brought back to life because he was clutching onto life. Yeah. So, so it's really, it's really fucked up, <laughs> but it's yeah. great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Although I do, I do like seeing him at the end with a, a very, they even say he looks peaceful, um, that he's, uh, he finally looks at peace, which he does because he made his peace in his uh, dying moments there, but. Um, that even though he didn't make it and he clutched on the life so hard he fought, he, in the end, he still seemed peaceful with the outcome <laughs> by the time he got there. He, yeah. He, he was able to let go of his grief and no matter, and whatever, if you're agnostic, atheist, uh, religious, maybe he went to, if you believe in heaven, maybe he went to heaven, maybe his mind was able to rest because, you know, he, he manifested, Gabe to tell him it was okay, but either way, it's it's it ends on a upbeat. You know, it's a good note. That I think he... so. Yeah, I mean, if anything, it made me feel um, like relieved for him because <laughs> yeah. he's done with like this horrible torment that this poor, like, really sweet guy just constantly was dealing with for a little while. If anything, it just made me glad that he had some relief that it was over <laughs> for him, so he could just like you know enjoy whatever is next or. The lack of whatever is next. Yeah. So uh, definitely go out and watch it now that we've uh, spoiled it all for you. And uh, <laughs> yeah. make up and uh, make up your own uh, assumptions of what you think happened or how you take things. So uh, definitely would like to hear some opinions. Uh, hit us up on Facebook or, you know, feel free to drop us a line uh, at our Gmail, which is uh, signalsfrompittsburgh at gmail.com. Yes, Pittsburgh spelled out all the way, unlike our social media. <laughs> right. Yeah. And uh, would definitely like to hear your opinions on it. Final thoughts? 
Uh, final thoughts? Uh, mm-hmm. Definitely worth a watch. Um, even if you kind of know what happens um, and you haven't seen it in a while, it's definitely worth a revisit. As I said, I I feel I feel bad that I was um, I was disillusioned by it just from the amount of time it has been since I watched it originally, and then just being I'm hearing about it so much through uh, my gaming uh, habits and all that, but. Uh, I'm really glad I, I did a rewatch. It was definitely worth it, and it was different than what I remembered. Yeah, so definitely worth the watch. Um, I give it a thumbs up. Two thumbs up from both of us. I definitely say um, check it out. Let us know what you think. And um, thank you. This has been uh, Signals from Pittsburgh. Stay safe.